a, a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Tommy Lugauer. Down the sideline, into the end zone. Touchdown, Giants! From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one Giants Giant step. step. One Giant Step, Episode 7. We are taping this on July 18th, 2022. So what does that mean? It's Sean Morash and Tommy Lugauer on the eve of rookies reporting to training camp. And it's really got to suck to be these rookies, which I'm sure are excited because you're about to spend what feels like, what, eight weeks, seven weeks before we get real meaningful football. If you do make the roster, that's a long time in camp, hopefully for many of them. Some of them, obviously, a short time, including a lot of those undrafted rookies that won't make the team. But we are inside WFAN, the Odyssey apps, exclusive New York Giants weekly podcast, which is now producing multiple episodes a week. One giant step. Tommy, hello. How are you? Sean, I'm doing well. How you doing, man? I'm doing uh, I'm doing solid. I'm doing okay. Uh, I had a little week off last week, although I was on one giant step, took took care of things, uh, one of which you're going to give me grief for. But, yeah, it was nice, you know, as, as we mentioned last week, a little trip to Sesame Place, a little beach, got to get cleared out of the water for sharks. Animals are overtaking life. There's a lot of lot going on in life here. Yeah, what, what Sean's alluding to, uh, and those of you that follow him on Twitter or just want to check out his Twitter page. MRZCBS, MRAZCBS. All right, you could you could spell. Congrats. Now, I'm I'm checking out Twitter. I'm chilling online or whatever, and I and I see this Mirage post that a rabbit somehow, some way, got into his house. Now there was a series of videos. One in particular that I'm gonna get on you for, get on someone in your family for. But the first one was the actual rabbit chilling on the couch watching the game. Basically, had a beer in the remote in his hands. So walk us through that situation. <laughs> And and we promise we'll have some Giants rookie takes in a second, but this is more important. Yeah, last week, uh, towards the end of the week, I was watching, was it Yankees-Red Sox on Friday? Yankees-Reds, the last game of that series, whatever it was. I was outside in my backyard watching the game. My wife was inside, kids to bed, whatever. Just to give you a little background, earlier that day, I had come down the stairs into my basement where I have my studio here that I broadcast and diagonal from me. I have what we call a man cave. It's my multiple TVs for a football Sunday. I kind of got like the movie theater like screens. That's where I like watching movies too. I came down. I rounded the corner. I saw one of my drop ceiling tiles down. It's a finished basement. Yeah. Humble break again. And I didn't think anything of it. My wife had redone the studio behind me. If you're viewing it, you can see it on brick, but you can't, you're probably listening to it. And I didn't, I just didn't think anything of it. I'm like, all right, the ceiling tile popped out. Maybe my wife did something, whatever. I threw it up. No, like literally didn't think anything. Eight hours. How many times am I going to say that? Jeez. Eight hours go by. I come down the stairs. I'm going to do, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I had a couple of rums, rum drinks. I was going to sit down get into a movie, have the sound system blaring. Kids are in bed. I round the corner and I go to basically look and park my ass on the couch. And as you pointed out, somebody beat you to it. <laughs> yeah and, and i think this was the most jarring part of it it's one thing if if some kind of animal gets in your house and they're hiding out under something and they come running out and you do the <laughs> what are you doing it's another thing to basically have a rabbit sitting full-fledged on your couch cushion my basically it was a bag of fritos and a bud light away from being you know one of my friends over hanging out watching a yankee game and my immediate reaction was complete frozen I gasped for a second and you ever see something where like, I almost had to, am I really seeing what I'm seeing? Like one of those moments. 
you know, they're not a squirrel, not a bird, you know, it was, yeah, it was a Christmas vacation. There's a rabbit just sitting, a rabbit. <laughs> so immediately, rather than be a true tough guy, man, because I was more shocked than anything, I screamed at the top of my lungs with the kids sleeping upstairs and I huffed it upstairs and I was basically John Candy in the great outdoors. Bear, big bear, big bear, big bear got me. <laughs> and that's basically, as I'm trying to get the words out. And my wife has always made this. She gets very scared of our basement. Like in, uh, you know, it's, it's dark down here and it's fine, but I love it down here. And she's always said one day there's going to be like a murderer down there. I just want no part of going down there by myself. It's like, it's such a stupid fear. So I come upstairs and she now is frozen. She's like, is it happening? Is somebody down there? As if I'm like, of course I'd be dead. I go, no, there's a rabbit. She goes, a rabbit. What? And we came downstairs. And at this point we wanted to keep our dog away because it would have been a bloody mess. But the rabbit basically was not moving when we were like, you know, getting close to it. So I tried to call my dad. Dad, you ever have this problem in your house? No help whatsoever. Don't want a fishing net, something like that. Danielle's stepfather, we call him, was like sending the bat signal. He's like the great outdoorsman. He comes running over. He also brings the fishing net. My neighbor Dave comes over, I think more or less just to see what was going on down there. Uh, and we eventually got the rabbit cornered. It ran underneath like a wall unit thing. And we caught it as one of the videos show on social media in a net and got it out of there. Uh, not before it took a number one and number two on my couch, which I had to wash and clean well. So there was no movie observed that night. But yeah, it was it was some scene. I mean, I have a rabbit in your house, a rabbit. Well, you said the uh, you alluded to it, the the video that I, I saw that video. Then I saw the one where it was your father in law and you and your father in law caught in the net. Right. Yes. And your yes. wife is filming this whole thing now. Yeah. And by the way, just shows you in this house, we're all about content, right? A, a rabbit comes, oh. you can't not capture every minute of it. Incredible. So she, as the rabbit is being caught or as it's running into the net, she runs up the steps. And, and I'm <laughs> like, sitting there. By the way, it's shot like the Blair Witch Project, too. Right. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm like, <laughs> now, yeah, now I lived out on Long Island and now I live in the city and I wanted to text her and be like, Sean, tell her like, bro, in my apartment, we have like cockroaches and mice and rats, this is a freaking bunny rabbit. This is well, the Easter bunny. She's running up the steps like the thing has rabies. You want to come here when you got a cockroach on the loose? I don't <laughs> want to come back into my apartment for a month when you see one of those things crawling around a spider. She's worried think, about a rabbit. I think there's a, a big difference here. Number one, no offense to you living in the city, but you almost expect a rat or a cockroach <laughs> at some point to come running through you. Sure. I don't exactly live in a forest. I live in a nice suburb, Long Island home where, yeah, there's rabbits in our neighborhood, but never in the house, which by the way, we did find how the rabbit got in. There was a little rotted wood underneath my kitchen siding that when it was a hole and clumped through. I've had that. And you got blamed, up. I'm sure I would imagine. No, 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 no. Oh, no it wasn't you know, a morass fault. It wasn't. No, just one of those things that, you know, as a homeowner, you don't realize some of the wear and mm. tear that one of those areas that you wouldn't see unless you looked for it in the house. Like it was very hidden behind bushes and stuff. So that's how the, the rabbit got in. But yeah, I think it was more too. number one, my stepfather-in-law who came over, he's again, he's a big hiker. He, you know, he's Mr. Like he's almost like moving in with Al Borland from home improvement. Like he's always <laughs> over with some kind of home project for me. Showed me the ropes. My dad was never really a handyman. And like the help is always warranted, but he flat out told us, because at some point my wife was like, don't worry, the rabbit's not going to bite you. It might leap, and that's a little scary. And he said, I wouldn't be so sure of that. Some of these rabbits can have rabies and stuff. So that's where we were like, okay. I was taking his word for it. I mean, he could be wrong, I, but I was like, geez, I, nobody needs that in the house. Also, again, it's a rabbit. Like, it's the shock factor of, like, how did this get here? This is not a pet rabbit. It's a wild rabbit off essentially the Robert Moses Causeway on Long Island. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I poke fun, but but it, honestly, dude, if we ever have or when we've had, because I've been living in the city a couple of years, Brooklyn, Queens, so yeah. I've seen my assortment of, of bugs through the years. Some you don't even, the worst is when you don't even know, I've never even seen this type of bug. I just know it's disgusting and it's like climbing on my wall. Whenever we've had that scenario, I always go, I go right to my wife, or at that time she was my you know girlfriend, fiance, and she kills it. I'm man enough to admit that. I don't want to kill a bug. I don't want to go anywhere near it. I am scared. So I made fun of your wife, but the reality is I'd be there right behind her, you know, with the boom, basically ready to whack the thing if it came up the steps, because it just, it, it freaks me out. And it's just like, you don't want anything to do with it. And to everybody that's subscribed again, anywhere podcasts are subscribable, go to that Odyssey app, go to Spotify, go to iTunes. Anybody who's tweeted at us at Mraz CBS at Tommy Lugauer about this pod. We appreciate the early listenership that we're gaining, but if you tweet at us, it's just a rat. Like I heard that in the newsroom. You, you came through in WFAN today. Uh, you know, it's just a red, but what are you scared of? Everybody's a tough guy until you're in that scenario. Every single person, of course, like I would feel the same way. It's a red, but what are you scared of? Until oh, you're faced with this thing eye to eye in your own home. Remember, you have home court advantage there, but it's leaping at you. It's doing this. It's doing that. It's, you know, it's quick. And, and again, the other fear in that moment too, I can't express this enough is you see one rabbit. The fear is where are the others, right? What, what is family? Uh, Right, right. Is the family under the couch? And like that old answer, if I go at him, am I always going to look behind me? There's another one jumping on my back. Who knows? Anything was possible in that scenario. But the rabbit got out. And then, by the way, that brought me to like Friday morning or Saturday morning. It was like 95 degrees with humidity. And I got the stepfather calling me seven in the morning. Make sure you get up. I find the hole. You know, we're with it. I'm I'm basically drilling plywood underneath my house, going through branches and everything, getting stabbed, pricked, prodded die in a sweat and had to essentially spend a day off patchworking the house, which is never what you want to do. Never but, what you want to do. But, but that Sean, was a like, big get me to football moment, by the way, that was yeah. a moment when you're under that house, you go, this is why you sit on the couch for 12 hours and eat nachos and ring dings. Yeah. But again, you're, you're saying like you're eye to eye to the rabbit. Like it's like Vecna from stranger things. I mean, you didn't have like a zombie or a beast or a demon in your house. You had a rabbit. I I I to the thing like like the freaking conquering hero here. Which, by the way, if serve me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. You didn't really do much. You weren't really part of the capture. Oh, I absolutely was. I oh, directed I it into the net. I had the oh, swiffer right. underneath the thing. Well, you the decoy. You were like the uh, you know no, basically no, the piece I of meat for the rabbit to run. I feel I like had the brother-in-law did all the work. No, no, no. He caught. He was the final guy who caught the net. It's like the guy catching the last out of the perfect game. I threw all the strikes. Oh, he sure. just made the catch. Yeah, you called That's him what up I did. over. That's what you did. And, and I guided him around. We got him into a spot where, you know, I had no choice but to jump into the net. So it was huge. It was a big moment. But, you know, again, then you come back to work and away we go. And let's just hope. By the way, last year we had Leonard Williams eating like a pounding heart out of a fish there. So uh-huh. he's a real tough guy. I'm not the tough guy catching all of this. Um, we did have a little general manager speaking news, Tommy. Uh, a place you and I might be familiar with on Long Island. Ohika Castle was hosting a golf charity event. Ohika Castle out on Long Island. And there was Joe Shane on the uh, eve of rookies showing up to training camp. Uh, I found this a little bit interesting because Paul Schwartz wrote about this in the post that Shane, you know, has a sense of nervousness ahead of, uh, you know, this summer, which is going to be important, which I guess I, I like. I like that he's caring about the nervousness of this whole thing. But yeah, again, he's put together the team. There's not many more nerves you need to have, but he essentially took another roundabout shot at Gettleman and the salary cap by saying, we feel really good about, you know, we've improved the roster 
I'm paraphrasing within the parameters we had to work with, which was a way of saying we thought Gettleman's roster sucked for the most part, put us up against the cap, but we improved the roster enough. So now bird's eye view. The Giants don't have James Bradbury anymore. Clearly, this is a secondary in transition. Still have Xavier McKinney, Dory Jackson. They got rid of Logan Ryan. Uh, the wide receiver room seems bigger, well-stacked. Offensive line, better. Do you think, because it's funny, last year the Giants entered the season with somewhat expectations. Do you think as rookies enter training camp, you look at the Giant team on paper off of the offseason they had, and we don't go, go in the depth with the depth chart and stuff. There's other podcasts for that. But do you feel as a Giants fan like Joe Shane, improve the roster off a team that was picking again, you know, right there at the top of the draft. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think they address a, a lot of key needs. Look, I look back at the defense and there were people like you that went into last season saying the giants could have this elite defense and it didn't work out that way. And now they go out and they, oh, they were, they were better. Hold on. They were better after the first month uh, of the season. Okay, I took Graham tinkered too much early on. Sure, but they were. I'm not. I don't even think they were elite going into the year. They certainly, when you look at it totality wise for the full season, you cannot say they were an elite defense. Are you willing to admit that? Oh, they weren't elite's the wrong word. Uh, Which word do you use? But you use the word. They they probably overachieved in 2020 and came back to the means in 2021. But I, you know, again, 20. If I could go back and play Monday morning court, and that's the wrong word, right? Revisionist history, hindsight. Right. They entered that COVID season of 2020 with everybody assuming the defense would be awful and the offense would score a lot of points. And again, their division stunk. And that was a lot of the reason they were in it, but they're an Evan Ingram catch versus Philly away from being a seven and nine team that wins the division because their defense was really good and overachieved and their offense wasn't. And last year, I just, I assumed the defense would be better. Now, the defense got better. Remember, they played well versus Kansas City. They had their moments versus Tampa. All these Chiefs losses. were kind of broken at the time, though, Sean. The uh, Chiefs you know, it's the easy Chiefs to say that, but right after that, the Chiefs heated up. So why couldn't they heat up versus the Giants at that time? They could have, but at that time, they caught the Chiefs, I thought, at the right time. That I only good. say that because clearly they let Teddy Bridgewater march up and down the field yeah. on him a week one. Week two, right. they couldn't stop Taylor Heineke in a game they should have won. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. Who did we lose to week three? That drove me nuts, too. That was another game I thought they should have won, and I blocked it out of my head. Same. That's going to really bother me. Uh, it was a team that I thought they should have beaten, and they didn't, and that sent me into uh, a deep despair. And then week four, of course, with the Saints, mm, you know, Bend but don't break. They end up winning the game in overtime, and yeah. then the wheels fall off with offensive injuries versus Dallas. But that's essentially the game, and that's really gonna tick me off. That I don't remember Week Three's game now. It was, it was damn it. All right, we'll move on. Well, I'll find that. But yes, the the defense sucked earlier in the year. You know, whatever it was with Patrick Graham, and now with Wink Martindale is going to be aggressive. I just I who's the second corner on this team? Is it Aaron Robinson, the third round pick from last year? Darnay Holmes still in the slot. Um, you can't expect Cordell Flott, a guy who's going to re, you know report tomorrow, a fourth round pick. I I, I don't know. I, I I just I don't see it with the secondary this year. This feels like a defense that you're going to ask a lot from Kayvon Thibodeau. I think Ojolari will be better. I think the pass rush will be good, not great yet. Leonard Williams, I expect, you know, solid year. But I, I think this is a defense going to give up you know, 28, 30 points a game and be the reason they're losing games this year. Yeah, and and, re- and real quick, because I know people are screaming right now, and the week three was the Falcons, the game-winning field goal, the one That's where Mara right. kicked the car- garbage can, apparently. That's right. That, that was the Good game. call. That's right. Um, yeah, no, I think the addition to Kayvon, to me, the Giants were lacking a guy on defense that can make plays, a playmaker, a guy that could kind of take the attention away 
from other players on the defense. They got they got that. So to me, that was a a monster acquisition or draft pick there from Shane because that's really what the defense was lacking. Got to get after the quarterback, take the attention away. Now it'll open up things for Leonard Williams off a down year. So to me, that right there is fine. Neil, of course. I'm sure weekend callers and night callers at the fan are, are going to be giddy because they got they built up the offensive line. Somebody, to oh, you know what? Jones to give them time. That was obviously a point of need for sure. And, let, and let's pause real quick on that note for a second yeah. because you and I both work at WFAN, host shows on WFAN. Yeah. You produce a, you know one of the big shows on WFAN. Let me tell you something right now. There is going to be a major difference, and this is no offense. I'm sorry to some of our subscribers from. Hardcore Giants fans that understand the way the offseason worked and hardcore Giants fans that are also WFAN hardcore callers, maybe first before they even are Giant fans. They're, they, they're WFAN fans before they're Giant fans. And the reason I bring that up, I really believe you are going to get the calls early in the season if the offensive line gets off to a sluggish start and don't look a lead out the gate, which they probably won't. It's going to no, take a little not. time to gel. Glowinski, Neil, these guys they've added in here now. Uh, Feliciano, who knows if Josh Azudo is a guy who starts at guard. Well, you know, Max Garcia. They have all these new names and new faces. If that offensive line is giving up some sacks earlier in the year, you mark my words, WFAN will be filled with callers. Same G, uh, new GM, doesn't matter. They still can't fix the O-line. There will be an unfortunate lack of patience, specifically from the WFA and caller base of Giants fans that I think will misrepresent how the Giant fan base feels in general. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's a tired narrative too, because you saw, I mean, it was like, we don't back in the day when the Giants didn't have a linebacker right now, we saw Russell Wilson with no offensive lines in Seattle make magic. A lot of times a great quarterback can sort of right the wrongs of a bad offensive line. I get in the Super Bowl when Mahomes' offensive line was banged up. The Bucks took care of him. But that was also an excellent defense that got healthy at the right time and took him out to the woodshed. But this, this idea that they have to have this great, great offensive line, you have to have a good, solid, serviceable offensive line, and you could win games in the NFL. But you're right. If they get off to a bad start and the offense isn't clicking, on the fan, you will hear a lot of callers saying the offensive line, the offensive line. And it's just, it's not always the offensive line. Like I said, it's just sort of a tired narrative. Yeah. And I, well, let me just say this, that to me, despite me already laying the groundwork of excuses early in the year, because I will be patient with them. I, this is going to be sounding completely opposite of what I was just preaching. That is the most important part of viewing Joe Shane's job this year with as excited and giddy as we will be over Kayvon Thibodeau with perhaps the giddiness of, Hey, this receiver group, if they stay healthy, which is still a big, if they yep. to this Wendell Robinson, as he fit with Tony and yada, 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 it's the offensive line that will be the focal point of how we judge Joe Shane. So if I was Joe Shane at Ohika castle on a Monday, I'd be a little nervous too, because this is a fan base for the better part of a decade who feels like they've had one of the worst five offensive lines in football and, and has always now left the door open and excuses for poor quarterback play to always blame it on the offensive line. Can we figure this out? Can we make sure the O-line's in good enough shape that whatever happens with Daniel Jones and if they move on and draft the quarterback next year, that the next quarterback or perhaps Daniel Jones if he takes off this year, again, 5% chance that happens. This is you know something that's supported. We can just stop talking about it. How refreshing would that be? To argue about other things, argue about clock. I would love to argue about clock management with head coaches and not argue about offensive line play all year. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and you alluded to it earlier, Shane, I mean, he was handed chicken, you know what, he's got to make chicken salad. What Gettleman did to this franchise is just the absolute worst. He has set them back and now they have to be, they're in a situation where they have to dig out of this hole and it's not going to happen overnight. Daniel Jones, I think we agree, is not the answer. There, There is a long process here to get the Giants back to, I know it's cliche, but giant football, the giant way, right? right? They throw that a lot. A lot, a lot of people in, inside the building throw that out there. Gettleman just put them in a really bad spot. So Shane, I think he did some nice steps here first year, but drafts, we know. We could sit there and say he had a great draft, but what does that mean? Nothing. I mean, if we could right. say he had a horrible draft, and it could end up being great. But I think he addressed the positions of need. Right, we never right. know where a player is going to work out, but the positions of need were addressed, and now you hope that they can perform. Yeah, which is going to lead me to kind of nerd out and geek out, which is more yeah. my style when it comes to the giant roster than Tommy's style. But bear with me for a second. Rookies enter training camp this year, and I, I just want to caution everybody on something. We love the NFL draft; it's become one of the like the crown jewel events of the sporting year. Uh, where, and again, I watch. More college football, I would say, than a fair amount of Giants fans. I just, Mm -hmm. I've gotten accustomed to it working at CBS Sports. I love it. I can't get enough of it gambling on it. Great, the whole deal. Um, When we go in depth on the draft, I think there becomes this unrealistic expectations that, like, you've nailed seven starters in the draft, that that suddenly this is going to be this huge. You know, turning off point, and I'm I'm excited about the draft class in general. But remember, the Giants need to accomplish two things in this draft. Number one, not screw up the fact that they had two picks inside the top seven because those yeah. guys need to be elite starters, and we'll get to them in a second in Neil and Thibodeau. And number two, yeah, the Giants need to start drafting well in the back end, not for like the elite starter talent. Forget about that for a second, but just quality depth for when guys get hurt, you can plug and play a starter. You know, they take this Micah McFadden late in the draft. Is that a guy, forget being a future starting linebacker. If he does that, great, but you can't expect that. A guy that, you know, if Blake Martinez goes down for a game or two, can he step in and not kill you? And the reason I say that is, and a lot of the giant salary cap problems at the end of the Reese era, tied into Gettleman, how many times are you signing special teamers to contracts? I mean, uh, sign, you know, signing depth pieces just to to more money than you'd be paying rookies on rookie contracts because the Giants were just so bad at building yeah. that way. So can this be a drift? Could Joe Shane have found those guys depth wise where if you t- get out of the first three rounds where those are where you really want your starters, can you find a decent starter? Maybe it's Daniel Bellinger, the tight end. Maybe it's Dane Belton, the safety down the road. But can these guys just be quality depth pieces that don't kill you? You know, the Giants need more guys like a guy who's going to end up starting this year. Julian Love was a late pick sure. that ended up being, you know, now a pretty solid safety, but a good depth piece for a lot of years. The Giants need to come out of this as the rookies report with like that sign of they're not just flat out missing. And the reason I'm cautioning everybody on this is, Two polar opposite GMs. We didn't like Jerry Reese at first, but everybody loved him early on. And what Jerry Reese gets credited all the time with was the Super Bowl 42 championship team, that draft class, that draft class, that draft class. Yep. If you'll allow me to indulge in comparing this Giants draft class to that draft class, that draft class in hindsight, yeah, contributors that were key to one run specifically, two of them to two runs or three of them, overall not that great a draft class. So Aaron Ross was their first round pick. Wasn't that great a first-round pick? Two-time champion, filled the purpose at corner, but wasn't like a star corner. Steve Smith, injuries derailed him, but that's a great second-round pick for a while. He has a huge catch in that final drive, Super Bowl 42. Huge. 
We didn't get a 10, 15 year career out of Steve Smith. He still had injuries. Jay mm-hmm. Alford has the big sack. We all remember it in Super Bowl 42, but again, did nothing after that. Zach Diossi, you took a guy in the fourth round to be your long snapper forever. Okay, fine. It's a fourth round pick. Kevin Boss had his moments, but again, injuries. We barely saw him after a couple of years. And then Ahmad Bradshaw was the big one, the seventh round pick that became, you know, a cornerstone running back. Michael Johnson at a moment. But Overall, draft class was fun. See what I'm talking about, though? Like, that's not a star-studded draft class. No, it's not very sexy, but it's guys that contributed to championship yes. teams and came up with the and big moments, lunch pails kind of guys. For yes, sure. and yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you would like yeah. – the Giants better get more – the point is I'm saying is we value that draft class of 07 is like, can you believe, you know, what that led to a Super Bowl? And that's true, but the Giants better be getting better quality players than that. Like, I better I, – I want 10 years of Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. And I want either, you know, Wendell Robinson or Josh Bazzuto. Like, these guys, I want them around a long time. But if that's the basis for a great class, uh, temper your expectations as rookie starter about how great the Giants did in this draft. We have a long way to go. Now, maybe Shane just hit it out of the park when I have this insane draft. It'll be awesome. And on the other side, let's look at Gettleman. Because, again, I'm bringing this up because this was Shane's first rookie class that's reporting. How about Gettleman's first draft class, Tommy? Saquon... Saquon in the first round. Yep. Will Hernandez in the second round. Who they people loved two, coming out, but he, yeah. Right, and I did too, but ended up, you know, let's face it, he's a bust. Yep, he's a bust. Guy. You could have flipped it around, and this could have been a draft where if you wanted running back guard, you could have had Quentin Nelson in the first round and Nick Chubb in the second round. Think sure. about that. Yeah. Barkley and Hernandez. Then you go Lorenzo Carter, who just never put it together. You drafted him for potential. Fine player. Like, fine. I would classify him as just simply fine. But yeah, no. when counted on to be a number one pass rusher, he was never going to be that. B.J. Hill, who now, you know, might be the best player out of the class, and he's doing it with the Bengals winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> yep. Uh, they took Kyle Loletta in the fourth round and R.J. McIntosh in the fifth round. And then remember, they also had a supplemental pick they used on Sam Beal, who never worked out as a corner, too. So right. Gettleman was atrocious in that first year. And the Giants simply... Cannot have that. As rookies report to camp on Tuesday, they cannot have a draft class like they had in 2018. Joe Shane needs to have the foundation built here. Um, you know, as you look up and down, Thibodeau, Neil, Robinson, Azudu, and then you get into guys like Flott and Bellinger and Belton, as I mentioned, Micah McFadden. Um, down and down you go. This is a lot of draft picks they took. There's going to be a lot of infusing new guys, but again, I just I know we're all excited if you're a Giant fan. Camp is starting. This is new blood, new coach. You know, there there is some star value, at least internally with the Giants, with some of the guys the Giants have. But I, I caution everybody, calm down on what this rookie class will be for the Giants because history tells us you're going to likely be more disappointed than not. Which, Tommy, I, I don't think it's unfair to say, and, and I guess we'll round me out and bring to this next debate we could have on this draft class, which is you you want to throw Robinson in there. You want to throw the guard, Izudu, in there. I don't know how you could do that before Neil. But in your mind, what's the more important immediate hit, Evan Neal or Kayvon Thibodeau? Neal. Definitely. I mean, to me, when you're talking about the trenches and a guy like that who should come in right away, pick it up, get get going, you could see an immediate difference if he's a presence there in the offense and the way they could protect Jones, move the football a little bit, uh, that, without, without a doubt. And Kayvon, of course, when he's a defensive player, comes in with that star power, that sexiness, that moxie, he's great on the, on the microphone. He, I think, is the, obviously has the most potential to blossom into that 
10-year superstar player, a guy when we think about this era, hopefully, of Brian Dable, Joe Shane football, where they make the playoffs, maybe get hopefully get back to the Super Bowl, win one. He'll be a cornerstone, certainly, on the defensive end. But the, the offensive lineman, to me, that's always where it starts, uh, especially at where they're at right now, the Giants. Yeah, so, and, and for me, I would agree with you. It is Evan Neal, but kind of kind of with an asterisk because it is very hard for me to envision a world where Evan Neal is a first-round bust, especially because they're not leaning on him to play left tackle and protect the blind side because sure. Andrew Thomas, yeah. who uh, Patty Trainer just reported ready for training camp, he, he's healthy as well. And like Evan Neal, to me, even if he isn't this incredible all pro, I just think he's going to be a really solid right tackle in the NFL basically forever. Like I, I really do view that as a guy where it's hard to envision a world for me where the giants don't have him on their offensive line in five years. Like that just, and I think that's why, yes, he's most important that he's a hit because if he's a bust, it would be like tragic show Shane just misses on his first big offensive line pick and trying to rebuild this. The thing is, and I I want to caution this because everybody's going to think I'm being negative. I don't believe this will happen, but I could see us living in a world where Kayvon Thibodeau does turn out to be a bust. For because of injuries or just the moments well, too much I, for him, the system? Like what do you all of it, all of it. Now I'm not I'm not anti, you know, the kind of flashiness, look at me, you know, like energetic because I love that with Beckham and he wasn't a bust by any means. So And you need a swagger, dude, because honestly, bro, yeah. like the Giants have been Duds and stiffs forever right. now. They need a guy that has swagger. I on totally agree. A hundred percent. And I, by the way, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be a guy that goes to multiple Pro Bowls. I, I believe agree. it all. I believe he's an alpha. And I believe that as a result, you're going to actually get a really good Aziz Ojolari on the other side. I'm just saying, whether it's injuries, whether it's hype. I mean, look at Chase Young in year two. And I know the jury's still out. He could go off and be the defensive player of the year this year. But that was a guy we were talking about. Can you believe we missed out on him by beating Washington? And, you know, the Giants set up with Andrew Thomas. You could be looking back at that going, "Ah, I'd rather have Andrew Thomas than Chase Young. Like that, that world does exist as both of those guys enter year three. I I just, again, these pass rushers, all of them, even the great ones like Miles Garrett. Remember, I mean, the jury's still out on Bradley Chubb. Now, I'd rather have him than Saquon Barkley. But we've had hyped up pass rushers, drafts and drafts and drafts. And some of them just end up being fine players, but don't end up being elite guys like Von Miller or like Miles Garrett. So I hope he's Von Miller or Miles Garrett. I think he's probably closer to that than some of this. But I just we could operate in a world where he ends up being a bust, which I think is softened somewhat if that were to ever happen by Evan Neal just being an incredible offensive lineman. And again, you could scheme pass rush. You could figure it out. You want that elite pass rusher that draws double teams, and you hope you have it. But it would be far more tragic to this team if Evan Neal isn't basically a short hit here, as I kind of talk about this as rookies and our camp. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Listen, like you said, like Shane, two top 10 picks his first draft. If one or both were to miss, and look, I look, the NFL draft, so much and focus and attention is always on the first and second round, specifically the top 10, top five, and, and sometimes too much, right? We focus right. way too much. I could get, we could go a laundry list of Hall of Famers outside of the top 10, pro bowlers, all that. But when you have been as bad as the Giants have been the last couple of years, we were excited. We have these two top uh, 10 p- draft picks. You want to hit on both of them. It's your, it's your first impression, Shane, and we talked about the depth of the draft. That's what's going to win you the championships. But when you look back on this draft class, both of those names is how we're going to judge it. And well, if one and ends up being a great player and the other one's a bust, I think that's enough. A great, great player. Like, 
perennial pro bowler, 10-year career, cornerstone of the team, you're fine if that's the case. And there's two other names in here that you need to factor in when talking about Neil and Thibodeau and why they both really need to be great. Because if Micah Parsons, who the Giants passed on and made sure to trade back, and or Justin Fields becomes this incredible top 10 quarterback in the NFL that the Giants are still longing for, and they basically handed him to the Bears in that trade, unfortunately, right, wrong, or indifferent for guys like Neil and Thibodeau, and I know that clearly this is a Neil pick more than a Thibodeau pick, but they could have gone either one first or the other. Those two guys need to collectively be better than singularly having Micah Parsons on your team or having Justin Fields on your team, which is why it's just it's so important. And maybe this is again ties all the way back into Joe Shane here at Ohika Castle talking about nerves. They got a lot of pre- those two guys have a lot of pressure. The raft, rest of the draft class is gravy, and we have you know hope. You know maybe Floppy becomes a good corner, Azudu becomes a good offensive lineman. You know just solid starters for this team. Fine. Wandell Robinson, I think, is the X factor of the whole draft classes. Again, you draft a guy in the second round, you expect him to be on a field as a starter, uh, you know, and, and how Brian Dable uses him will be interesting. But, hey, we're going to see those names on the house, see the, the NY on the helmets, jerseys flying around. Well, and the thing bottles. about Robinson, Sean, too, is that, you know, he's coming into a situation where he's like, you know, third on the depth. I mean, you have – Tony, you have Galladay. So he's coming into a situation where yeah. he doesn't have you don't count like on him to balls for thousand yards. Right. 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 So he, but, he, but, the pressure but. isn't there as much with him. So I think that No, the pressure's not the there, but at the same time, when you're drafted in the second round, you better make an impact. No, I, I, for sure. The Gi- the Giants are not exactly in a position as a franchise to be given guys two years to get going if you're taken in the second round. Like like those are picks where you expect to build starting quality yeah. players. Uh, and again, how much longer do you expect Sterling Shepard around? And with all due respect, and this is maybe a story for another episode, uh, is Darius Slayton even going to be on this team? Is this a guy that's going to get traded in training camp? Because yeah, this room has gotten very full really quick and basically almost feels like we're always going to remember Slayton for the uh, the missed uh, ball in Washington in week two as well. So you're right. But I, I, I don't want to give Wondell Robinson a pass. If they use the second round pick on him, they feel very high on him. And I'm just really fascinated probably if I had to rank top five things that are going to fascinate me the most this year, seeing how an NFL offense in 22 run by Brian Dable looks compared to the crap we've seen for the last couple of years. Because remember when they took Robinson that Friday night in round two, it'd be, wow, does this mean Tony's going to get traded with those dumb rumors that came out? Yeah. Because they're a similar kind of player when in reality is they want more guys like Kadarius Tony on the field, which is the way the modern NFL is going. And we were just so brainwashed to small receiver on the inside, big receiver on the outside. They're going to be putting guys all over the place like chess pieces. It's going to be very exciting to see how they do this. Yeah, and uh, not to veer off too much from the rookies, but I said his name, and it just made me think of this, is that to me, Kenny Galladay has so much to prove this year, maybe out of almost any giant not named Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. That's fair. So this is a guy that came in, got a lot of money, right? We thought he would go out, score 10 touchdowns, and he didn't do it. And, they were, bro, there were times this year where he flat out quit. Okay, he didn't. There were interceptions. Yeah. He didn't make tackles. He looked like a guy that took his ball and went home. And he said all the right things here in the offseason. He seems like he wants to uh, mentor Tony, but this is New York City. Didn't meet the media, something like this. This is a guy that is the number one. Granted, there's some depth on in the wide receiver chart, but he's the number one receiver of this team. And he's got to play like one this year. So yeah. he's got a lot to prove going into the season. Otherwise, he's going to hear it big time from the fans. I don't disagree. I happen to like Galladay, and I will Me too, this. by the way. For the, I don't for the disagree, yeah, I don't I disagree with anything you said, but I will say this. 
I don't believe that they built an offense with Garrett at the beginning and Kitchens coming in that like they understood how to play to Kenny Galladay's strengths. They were like mm. very reserved. They were afraid to take shots. Yeah. He's a contested catch guy. They were afraid to do that. I also think that Daniel Jones, probably his biggest weakness quarterback wise is, is hitting that fade and throwing it up to a guy in the end zone. And he missed Galladay a couple times on those that hurt. But I will say this anytime Kenny Galladay, caught some big passes, right? Or like caught a ball. It just looked different than anything we were seeing on the field. Like he, when he did have those opportunities and he caught, you know, a a slant and took it, you know, the extra seven yards. I know, I know Tony is a different kind of player, but Galladay just looked like just that powerful presence. He reminded me of Plaxico, but again, it wasn't consistent enough. They didn't have the right offense enough and he quit a lot too. So it feels like Kenny Galladay's unfortunately a player. And again, he did come from the Detroit Lions. But a player that when the going's good, he's a guy you want on your team. But when the going's bad, he ain't going to do anything to help the situation. Yeah, and I'm just thinking these things now, too. Another thing, too, and this is all NFL teams, I get that, but injuries. Jones, Barkley, Galladay, guys that, that have to, Shepard, they have to stay on the field, dude. There's just right. these guys that have had so many injuries, and it's part of the NFL. But if these guys don't stay healthy, we're staring at another three or four win season. So hopefully that yeah, and, and to that point, the, the quarterback's got to stay in the field. Jones, Jones is only shot to be starting to staying on the field. Oh, definitely. Only 100%. shot. Cause he doesn't stay in the field. Exactly. Barkley. I almost expect to get hurt because he's hurt every year, but they don't have Evan Ingram anymore who missed a ton of games. Here's the thing. Injuries will always happen. It's impossible to ask for, you know, all these starters to stay healthy long-term. You're going to lose a key guy. Every team does, and it's how you deal with it, which is what I'm talking about, by the way, with drafting the depth. But what they can have happen, and it seems to always happen, is just like an unreal injury tick on one side of the ball to one unit at once be like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, for instance, if they were to lose a Dory Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, like, they wouldn't be able to scrape together corners to play. No, I'd be screwed. Uh, you know, and wide receivers. I mean, how many times are you going to lose two, three wide receivers and you're looking going, you know, we're going to call back Tim Carter to start here this week? <laughs> can they just stay, you know, if one guy goes down, can it not be a domino effect for the other guys? Can we just have it, you know, where there's a one, one key injury a week and not 15 key injuries a week? I think that would be a good start. You know, I, I'm not even asking for a clean injury here. I'm just asking for limitations on how many guys are out at once. But we pray to the football gods for that. Right, because if, if Galladay, Tony, Robinson, I mean, that's an exciting trio. But if those guys start dropping like flies, and like we said, maybe you call back Darius Slayton, hey, you want to be the number one wide receiver. I mean, you can't right. Dante Pettis. I mean, you can't have this. Right. There's no way you can function as an NFL offense with wide receivers like that. There's just no way. And like you said, the secondary, good luck covering the Cowboys if we have nobody out there that can cover anybody. So, yeah, the injuries are going to be a big thing, and the Giants have just had a million of them over the last couple of years. By the way, and I hope this happens for him personally, but watch. Like, this will be the year Sterling Shepard plays all 17 <laughs> games out of nowhere now. Hopefully. Yeah. And then, no, but then we'll be the screaming at too. But then we'll be screaming in December going, can we get Wondell Robinson on the field? Yeah. Shepard's taking his reps, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's be fair. The year. <laughs> this will be the year. Uh, all right, well, that'll do it for episode seven here of one giant step as we embark on training camp and the rookies open camp. Tommy, no more rabbits in the basement. We got football from here on out, buddy. I'm excited for it, uh, Sean. Excited for camp. Excited to talk to you later in the week, my man. All right, at Tommy Lugar, where you can follow him, at Mraz CBS, where you can follow me. Uh, again, catch Tommy afternoon drive on Tuesday, right, on WFAN? Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, and Friday. And Friday, and I will be on the fan following Tommy and C-Mac 
on Tuesday night if you've already downloaded this podcast and listened. If not, if you've already heard us on the fan, well, thank you for listening again. Uh, This is One Giant Step. Appreciate all the support, and let's go, Big Blue.